are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound gets sponsorship from the Paper Mulberry. It's not actually a mulberry, but you can actually make paper from it. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I am the host of the show, and my name is Steve. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and each week I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. It is the philosophy of Rootbound that everybody has at least one plant that is meaningful to them because plants are so integral to our lives as humans on this planet. Now, our guest today, we've met before, uh, back on the Papa episode. Um, I interviewed my friend Tara about pawpaws, but if you listen to that episode, kind of interspersed through the interview, um, it's me and my friend Sebi running around the forest trying to find pawpaws. Well, Sebi's back here now to talk about a different plant in, in the main interview segment here, and I'm really excited to talk to him about this plant. And it's a really fascinating and a deep look at a particular plant. So let's just jump right into it. Hey, Sebi, how's it going? Hey, Steve. Great to be here. Uh, really great to have you here. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yeah. Um, today, I'd like to talk to you about the Eastern Red Cedar. Awesome. I, I know this plant. I have one up. Actually, it used to be one in the front of my house, but my neighbor cut it down. I was a little bit bummed about that, actually. And I have one in the back of my house, but I, I don't know a ton about it. And I, I think... I, I know some things that you're going to share, but yeah, really excited to learn about this plant from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing to know about the eastern red cedar is it's not a cedar. Um, <laughs> that, I, I did know that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got I, a little bit of a follow-up on that, by the way, on my plant, but we'll save that for for uh, for, for when I talk, tell you about my plant, but it's, it's similarly not a cedar. Nice. Yeah, well, I, I think it's actually <laughs> even cooler than a cedar. I think there's a lot going on with this plant, um, a lot more than meets the eye. Um, something that makes this plant very special is, uh, how common it is. So when you said you had mm -hmm. one in your backyard, it's like, of course you did. Um, everybody does, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is one of the most sort of ubiquitous trees in, um, the Eastern U S. Um, and there's mm -hmm. a reason for that. And, and we'll, we'll get into it as the podcast goes on. Um, but, uh, the Eastern red cedar is actually a juniper. Uh, Juniperus virginiana, um, and uh, it's a plant that um, has a lot of uses, actually, um, both uh, practical uses and, in the case of my tribe, um, spiritual uses and many other tribes mm -hmm. um, around this uh, the region where it grows. Um, it's interesting how the plants that are sacred um, or considered sacred are usually so practical at the same time, um, mm -hmm. which kind of is a distinctly indigenous way of looking at sacredness, where instead of the sacred things being sort of in a glass box or, you know, something that you put away and you kind of venerate and put on a pedestal, no, the sacred things are the practical things that, that we use and make our lives better. Um, and in this very special, in ephemeral, almost ephemeral, but also um, 
you know, material way. Well, and you also mentioned how common they are, and this idea of abundance is really interesting too, because I think a lot of things, you know, treated as sacred and maybe like Judeo-Christian culture are often maybe more rare, right? You think of these things that are like uncommon, but you just mentioned how common it is, and that's, I think, pretty interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a big reason that they're so common is a lot uh, due to the impacts of humans um, on the environment mm. in the past 500 years. Now, um, you know, eastern red cedars, something that makes them uh, so cool to me is how tough they are. They can adapt to a ton of different kinds of uh, climates um, from clayey to alkaline to acidic soils. I mean, I've seen these suckers just on rocks, just straight up eating rocks. Like, they are amazing. Um, it's, it's really amazing how, how many different types of uh, environments they can grow in. You know, if you look at their sort of distribution range, I mean, we're talking like from Texas, Oklahoma to Maine to Florida. I mean, wow. there's so many different yeah. climates that they grow in. Um, they're so hardy um, that, uh, you know, uh, but but the thing that a lot of their um, habitats have in common is actually that they're, they thrive in disturbed ground. Um, so, you know, mm. when you have uh, something that's very disruptive to the environment, like of building a road or building a house or clearing a field for agriculture. It's the red cedars that are going to thrive in those environments um, ah. because they're uh, they're a pioneer species. So if you look at sort of our the succession, you know, after a big disturbance or a fire or clear cutting, it's the red cedars that are going to, to pop up first. Very interesting. Um, that's really cool because like a lot of times on this podcast when we've talked about the the plants that show up in disturbances, they're often um, non-native or invasive species. So it's kind of cool to hear about the the local species that kind of fill that niche as well. Because, yeah, it's so often we're talking about the, the invasives that do that. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, another example, I guess, would be like mullen, right? Is something that's yeah such a cool plant, so useful, so great. Um, but, yeah, thrives in these disturbed um, cli- uh, habitats. Yeah, the other actually the other uh, native one that we've talked about that does that too, and I think I've seen red cedar and this plant together, which is um, uh, black locust. Also, is really a one to pop up a lot when when uh, there's been a disturbance. So, super interesting. I I I think we've covered this a little bit. I want to go back a little bit and just make sure we cover this clear because it's the it's the uh, the theme of the show. Why is red cedar uh, meaningful to you personally? Red cedar is something that um, it's one of the first smells I can remember. Um, as soon as I as I see it and or, or smell it, it takes me back immediately to um, my uncle's farm in Southern Maryland, where we would do a lot of our ceremonies. And um, throughout the ceremonies, you know, before, during, and after, um, we would uh, we would burn the the leaves of the red cedar tree and. Um, that just beautiful fragrant smell um, just permeated the entire property. You know, from the road you could smell it, and even after you left, your clothes and your hair would smell like, you know, red cedar. Um, it's that smell is so distinctive, it's so unique, it's so penetrating that you know it's you know even to someone who grew up out in a different cultural context, I think you would understand almost immediately why, um, why, why we, we are so drawn to it. Um, 
you know, in Native American cultures and, you know, across, across the Americas, um, you know, smudging the practice of sort of enveloping yourself and cleaning yourself and, and blessing yourself with um, a fragrant smoke is, is, is a widespread practice. Um, popular, the most popular now um, is, is a smudging with white sage. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, uh, trade networks have existed on this continent for centuries and millennia. So, you know, we have had access to sage for a very long time, but it doesn't grow here. It, it, it's from California, um, the white sage that's widely sort of at this point commercialized and sold um, sort of new age and, and, and hippie movements. We actually had an episode about white sage. We had an indigenous woman from um, Colorado talking about it. And the very, a very interesting and pretty like complex and often fraught topic with the trade and how it's like been commercialized. And it's, 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 it's a tricky thing. So the takeaway from that for me was that uh, uh, in the, for most people, it's probably best to just not buy that stuff <laughs> because it, there's, it's really hard to like figure out whether you're like contributing to uh, poaching essentially with the white sage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and now you, you have something that you can use that is so abundant and so, so native to where we live that it's literally called Juniperus virginiana, you know? So mm-hmm. if you are looking for a substitute, um, look no further because this is something that is, you know, not in, in the, even the most remote way um, endangered or threatened, which white sage is. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and another great substitute for white sage, which is being over harvested for, for commercial reasons um, is uh, rosemary. If you, if you dry oh. rosemary um, or you, you bundle it up and you burn it, the average person would actually not even remotely be able to distinguish uh, between dried rosemary burning and white sage burning. So there's other stuff you can use um, and you don't have to contribute to the exploitation of of a very vulnerable uh, species. Great point. Great point. Um, Okay. Super fascinating. Let's, let's maybe get back to some other fun facts and dazzling details about the, the, the Eastern red cedar. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, back to the spiritual uh, sort of significance of it. Um, the, the smudging of, of red cedar is used um, throughout ceremonies as a way to sort of build up your, your spiritual power and preparedness for um, entering a ceremony in a more sort of purified and grounded way. Um, the, uh, the fresh leaves are often used, um, even though they, they work just fine dried. Um, the way that, you know, most, uh, you know, tribes that use uh, red cedar in ceremonies is basically you fill up a, uh, a coffee can, like an aluminum can with coals from a fire. And, um, and the, the, either the fresh or the dried leaves are, are dropped on those coals and, and the smoke just billows out. That You just totally triggered something in my mind with that because, so I, like I said, I have this red cedar in my backyard and a couple of years ago there was a heavy snow and one of the branches broke off into my yard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't want to like I'm like total like hippie gardener. I don't I really like hate removing like stuff from my yard. Like if there's biomass in my yard, I want to keep it there. So I like went through this whole process of uh, chipping it into small pieces. But I've been I was for for years actually I've been using those wood chips as the uh, fuel for my a smoker for my honeybees. Oh, so nice. I've been using eastern red cedar. And this now the smell that you're talking about is like actually made me think about that because it's the smell 
that I used to smoke my bees, um, which unfortunately my bees uh, didn't make it this year. And because I just had a kid, I'm going to be taking a few year break from beekeeping because it's it's pretty, <laughs> pretty hard to do both um, or actually a podcast beekeeper and, and that, but yeah, the, the Eastern red cedar smoke, I, I, yeah, I've been using it for, for the smoking for my honeybees. How would you describe the smell? I'm really bad at that, which is, sucks for being a guy who hosts a podcast about plants. I mean, it's it's kind of like m- musky a bit, kind of sharp. I feel like it's got some high notes, but I don't know if that if that helps. But yeah, it's it's good, and maybe it's different from the from the leaves, which I don't think I've ever smelt the the needles or the leaves burning. I've only smelt the the chipped wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to describe. Like describing smells is is so difficult, but. It really is. It's just so distinctive. Uh, both the wood and the leaves—they they do smell a little bit different, but but yeah, they have that just amazing aromatic character. It is similar, and I think why maybe you're going to get to this. Why um, you know the colonists who came here called it cedar because it does smell like the like cedar from Europe, or it's it's, it's adjacent to the like cedar. So like when you have like a cedar chest in your house or actually a lot of times that i guess is red cedar now but uh that original cedar smell I, it's it's adjacent to that i think yeah well actually you are scientifically right because they do have the same terpenes um terpenes oh. are are volatile essential oils that plants produce usually for some kind of they're called secondary metabolites so it's something the plant produces for a reason other than its ability to photosynthesize and reproduce a lot of times plants create these these terpenes or aromatic compounds as part of their immune system. So a defense against insects or, or fungi. Um, and some of the terpenes that are contained by, uh, by cedar um, are, are what protects the plant while it's living and also make it so useful when it's dead. Um, one of them being mm-hmm. cedrol, which is... Um, is uh, sort of uh, antifungal and, and antiseptic characteristics. Um, in fact, um, uh, in, in indigenous agriculture practices, um, cedar boughs um, and cedar chips were used as a mulch to repel insects from, from food crop plants. Um, and also i did that by accident a couple years ago too i took a bunch because that same branch i had a bunch of the boughs and i was like what am i going to do these i put them all around my peach tree and actually i think it was really useful for the peach it it, it is i mean it's it's a very ancient practice of of using wow. cedar as a as an insect repellent um and in fact you know uh if you use um pieces of the heartwood um uh in your dresser or in your closet it'll it'll repel moths in, in lieu of mothballs. Mm-hmm. Again, it has that insect repellent quality. Um, and if you use the trunks of cedar, like wood, whether planks or just the whole trunks, um, if you set them as posts in the ground for building structures, house, deck, gazebo, whatever, um, even sitting in the ground, even in moist you know, conditions, it won't rot. It's, it's an incredibly mm-hmm. rot-resistant wood um it's light it's aromatic it's got a beautiful color so it's prized for for building materials uh, fence posts in particular um it's it's just it's so abundant it's so uh resistant um it's really just an incredibly useful wood um in uh native uh communities uh you know a lot of us are you know, use feathers as part of our, our spiritual practice. Either we find them um, or we're gifted them for, 
you know, accomplishing a particular good deed or something like that. Um, and we store our feathers in red cedar boxes um, because it keeps the feathers clean of feather mites, which are microscopic mites that, you know, live on birds. And, you know, when, when the feathers are removed from the birds, the mites, you know, over the course of months and even years will just slowly nibble, uh, nibble uh, feathers down. But if you put it in a cedar box or a cedar chest, they won't. So, um, wow. Cedar is amazing. Um, an- another, uh, another thing about cedar, I guess for people who haven't encountered it as intimately to know, um, maybe a basic description, um, Oh yeah, good, 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 good call. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so cedar um, is uh, is an evergreen tree. Um, its uh, its bark is is somewhat uh, flaky um, and uh, stringy, and um, its uh, sap wood is is you know a white or off white color, and its heartwood is a beautiful red ranging sometimes to a deep maroon um Mm -hmm. the i was i was shocked at that when when this one broke off in my yard to see the heartwood and how like beautiful red it was i I didn't ever imagine that and i was i was really amazed yeah yeah and the heartwood is is really special um to my tribe as well because it, it sort of reinforces our connection to the tree because it has a red um it has a red inner, it has a red center, just like us, you know, just like our blood and our heart, you know, our organs are red. Um, the cedar tree has a red heart too. So it really, there's an affinity between human beings and the cedar tree. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the, the needles resemble, you know, other junipers or, uh, cedars there, except they're a little bit rounded. They're, they're pretty pokey. Um, and, uh, the, there are male and female trees. Male trees have sort of these, uh, you know, uh, brown pollen structures and the female trees have these beautiful sort of waxy dark blue, um, berries, which are technically cones, um, which contain the seeds of the tree. I just, we just talked about, um, on an episode a few ago about Juniperus communis, the common juniper. Which that's where I was blown away to learn that those berries are not, in fact, berries that they're technically cones, which is kind of funny to think about. Abs- absolutely, yeah. And those 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 um, those berries are eaten by by primarily by birds and, and dispersed that way. Um, in particular, the cedar waxwing is is the bird that's responsible for the majority of the dispersal of cedar trees. That's so cool. I uh, um a few this one cedar tree. I'm I'm just now that we're talking about it has had a. Uh, I've had a lot of interaction with it now that you mention it, but a few years ago too, uh, a little flock, maybe like five or six cedar waxwings flew through and sat on that tree. And I have a really great picture of a cedar waxwing with a little juniper berry, like just totally like being a cedar waxwing, eating a cedar berry in its mouth. It was very cool. They're a really cool bird. They are. Yeah. Send me that picture. That's amazing. Uh, I will. I'm going to make it the show pick actually. Definitely. It's good. That's buddy. I'll send it to you after this. The, um, the, the 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 cedar uh, the cedar also um, can get pretty big um, depending on the sort of soil the type of soil it's in I mean in 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 poor soils it can it can 
live for a very long time and be very hardy and very rugged and very tough, but sometimes it can be sort of like scrubby or, or kind of gnarled, um, especially on heavy, you know, point or on, on, on points or, or wind breaks, you know, the, the, the cedar trees can get very scraggly. Um, and I've seen some, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen some really scraggly red cedar trees um, in windy spots or on rocky cliffs or, you know, overhangs. But in, in well-drained soil, like, for example, um, they're often planted as windbreaks along the edges of agricultural fields. So that's like well-drained mm. fertile soil. Cedar trees can get so tall and, and so huge. I mean, it, it's really unbelievable. Some of these trees are like, I don't know, like 60 feet or something like that, which, you know. Wow. Uh, you know, for a tree that, you know, is relatively, you know, abundant or, or sort of humble and, and, and relatively fast growing. I mean, you know, these trees, they, they really get huge. They also live for a really long time. Um, I think the oldest recorded cedar tree was found in West Virginia, and it was dated to be 940 years old, which means Whoa. almost certainly, almost certainly there are trees and have been trees that, that, that are older than that. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. And it, I guess it, I was just imagining how big it might have been, but I guess what you're saying, it, it could have not been big because I guess it just depends on where it grows, whether it can, just because it's old doesn't mean it's big and vice versa, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think actually some of the lar- longest lived trees in, in North America are junipers. So it's it's a it's a very, yeah. it's a very, uh, it makes sense, right, that, that this would be a long lived tree. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah, very cool. Uh, do do we have any other fun facts and dazzling details about the red cedar? Or are we missing anything? Um, fun facts and dazzling details. I mean, you, I don't. If you if you want to grow um, apple trees, uh, make sure that there are no red cedars nearby. Uh, <laughs> cedar apple rust is a very common um, fungal pathogen that can live pretty comfortably on red cedars for a very long time, uh, but will very much negatively impact your uh your apple trees um mountain laurel is also a very common native plant that is a host for that fungal pathogen so oh something to keep in mind of interesting yeah we talked about that on my episode about um june berries because june berries are the same kind of fruit as an apple they're like the same they're a poem which oh, is the same yeah. family and so there is a different maybe i think it's slightly different it's a cedar quince rust but it affects the Juneberries. So the, all the Juneberry bushes in my neighborhood, if you don't get to the Juneberries fast enough, they all like get covered in this like weird orange powder. It looks it makes them look like little coronaviruses that are like shooting out like <laughs> Cheeto dust. It's very weird. It looks very strange. But but it's really interesting because it has this like uh, this two stage life cycle where the the fungus lives part of its life cycle on cedar and part of its life cycle on a quince or a apple or a Juneberry. Uh, yeah, I, and I've and I've heard pears, um, especially certain varieties, are are more uh, more tolerant. So, um, anyway, those are for you aspiring uh, yeah. fruit growers. Interesting. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Anything else? What we missing? Anything? Well, there's a particularly important cedar tree um, in uh, in Maryland, um, which we call our tree of life. And it's located in Piscataway Park, which is a, a national park um, along the banks of the Potomac River, directly across the river from Mount Vernon, which was George Washington's estate. 
that's on the Virginia side. Right on the Maryland side is uh, Piscataway Park, which is the site of the Moyon Burial Grounds, which is um, a very a very holy place for for our people, where um, tens of thousands of our ancestors are buried. Um, it was also the location of our original reservation, which was established in the 17th century and disbanded in 1720, and the site of our principal village, um, also called Moyon. Um, the, uh, the last chief to be buried there was my great-grandfather, Turkey. Um, and um, he, uh, he planted a red cedar tree there on the burial grounds um, a few years before his death. And uh, he told his, his sons, bury me here under this tree. Uh, he taught us mm. basically that it was custom for, um, for chiefs of our tribe to be buried under a red cedar tree. And um, the reason for that being that the, the cedar tree would, you know, in, 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 uh, 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 and being planted over that chief would 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 absorb the chief's life force and power and be a living manifestation of the chief after after uh, he or she died. And um, so now that cedar tree is is a very sort of important center pole of our spirituality. Um, every year uh, we tie um, tobacco ties on the tree. Um, in memory of um, our ancestors and people in our community who have died that year. So um, that cedar tree not only carries the, 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 the life force and memory of Chief Turkey, but it also carries, you know, all the ancestors uh, that we every year as part of our Feast of the Dead ceremony, which is sort of like a Day of the Dead um, in Mesoamerica, mm-hmm. similar vibe. Um, uh, that's part of our practice is to is to bring our ancestors to to that tree, speak their names, you know, honor their memory, um, and that's all done on a on a red cedar tree. And where he's buried at in Akakik, Maryland, there's a sacred cedar tree there. And he told us that when he passed on to the spirit world, that he would be able to still help us from that sacred tree. Very good. Well, thank you so much for sharing about the Eastern Red Cedar with me. Do you mind if I share about a plant with you? Yes. Awesome. Okay, so I I hinted a little bit earlier that my tree is also not a cedar, um, but it is called Spanish Cedar. Um, it's another tree and it's also not Spanish. It's, just, it's got a, two wrong names. It's one of those plants that has two wrong names. So this tree is called Spanish cedar. And I'll tell you first why it's meaningful to me and then we'll get into a little bit what it is. So this is a tree. So, you know, I work for this nonprofit called the Environmental Investigation Agency. We investigate environmental crime. And a few years ago, I was in Peru making this, um, uh, this film and, um, I was in Madre de Dios in the South part of Peru and we're we're doc we're making a film about illegal logging, but I had never really experienced what that really meant before. And then we got to this river, and someone pointed out down on the river there was this like series of rafts that had these blocks of wood on them. And they said, "Oh, that's that's Spanish cedar." Mm-hmm. And where it's coming from, there's no way that it is legal. Right. And so 
it really just kind of like connected that to me of like, oh yeah, this this is a real problem. This is happening all the time. There's you know people stealing wood for selling in, um, you know, uh, in cities in the United States in Europe. Um, but let's talk about what the tree is because it's interesting. Okay, it's called Spanish cedar, but it, as I said, it's from the jungle. It's actually it actually starts in like the lower Mexico and kind of goes down all the way into Peru. It's got a pretty br- broad range for a tropical tree. Um, it's called Spanish cedar, I think, just because of the Spanish influence in Latin America. And it has a smell, apparently. I've never smelled it, but it smells similar to all the cedars. So it's one of, the, I think, similar to Eastern red cedar. Some European dudes got there like, this smells like cedar. Okay, we're going to call this cedar. Yeah. But it, it's, it's an entirely different um, uh, genus. It, it's um, uh, Latin name is Cedrella odorata. So they named the whole genus similar to cedar. Um, the cedar from Europe, the most, you know, the one, the, the true cedar, as they call it, is uh, Cedrus. This is Cedrella. But so like they even named its um, its Latin name after cedar, but it is not anyway. It's not an evergreen. It's like a traditional jungle tree with like pretty big leaves, semi-deciduous because you don't need to be that deciduous in the jungle. Um, it can get very big mm-hmm. and it's very sought after because it has beautiful wood, just like uh, eastern red cedar. Um, it's also rot resistant um, like eastern red cedar. It is insect repellent. It's got all the same characteristics as the other cedars, but it's it's a just kind of different kind of tree um, that that's in the jungle. But because of that, it's um it's very in demand. It's a super popular tree, and it's been very popular for commercial purposes for I mean since colonialism, since since Europeans you know found it and like I, we can use this. So it's it's very at risk to illegal illegality. So yeah, that's that's the tree I'm going to talk about today. Awesome. Um, I, I also, I think it's interesting, like the sort of like no true cedar, like no true Scotsman thing where it's like, you know, these plants really have a lot in common. And, and I know, I know we have to have our botanical distinctions, but to some uh-huh. extent it's like, well, what? So we're just going to say the old world one is the true one and everything else is a knockoff. Like it seems kind of like messed up to me. Sure. It's, uh, on, on the other hand though, it's one of those things where actually I was going to ask you this. I don't know if you happen to know any indigenous names for Eastern red cedar. Um, I actually don't. That's a, that's a, that's something that I, I should definitely ask, um, elders, um, and, and try to figure out. I have some other, I don't know what the structure of your show is, but I, I just scrolled down. I, I remember that I have some mind blowing stuff about the Eastern Red Sea. Okay. After you're done. Let's, let's, oh yeah, we'll, we'll jump back into it because I definitely want to hear those uh, mind blowing stuff. Um, but yeah, I was saying with the, with the name Cedar, I think that has happened so often with plants where, the Europeans just named plants here after stuff they knew back home. And then it gets stuck with this like European name. And then the, the real name kind of often gets like wiped out. And there's a lot of times where like, I, I couldn't find very easily a, a, a native name for this. It's just called Cedro in Spanish. Right. Um, it, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, you get to the right places and people call this a tree, something that, that is in their language, but yeah, it's not something that's, that bubbles to the top of, of the internet. So, uh, that's something I'm always very interested in is like learning what, w- what was this called by the people who live with it and know it the best, you know? Right. So a few fun facts and dazzling details about the Spanish cedar. Um, it can grow up to 30 meters tall. So that's pretty tall. It's not the tallest tree in the forest, but uh, pretty tall. Um, 
it is really popular as timber because of that rot resistantness and a lot of like um you know wealthy people throughout history wanted to use it as timber it's also really good for make peeling veneer not every tree can you like peel really thin layers off of it to like put on top of plywood or other things to like make it look like a one big piece of wood but um spanish cedar is particularly good at peeling for veneer um it's in this this is also interesting it's also one of the most popular woods for use in humidors to to build little humidors for cigars and i think that's probably related to the same qualities as red cedar the box and talking about the feathers it's it's uh it's rot resistant you know antibacterial properties um i think in this case is also good at like maintaining humidity mm-hmm. um and then it was all it is also still to this day super popular um in certain musical instruments and i guess the most common place that it pops up is in the necks for flamenco guitars specifically which is interesting which is probably some way it got the spanish cedar name because it's it's interesting to think about this like truly spanish instrument the flamenco guitar but it 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 needs this wood from you know latin america right and then the uh the last little thing which popped out to me um about the the uses of it and i didn't know this but it's super cool is apparently it's a really a really popular tree in uh the jungle for honey production because i guess it has really a lot really abundant flowers and that they produce a really nice nectar and so there's there's people who keep bees near cedar in particularly to gather the nectar from it which i thought was pretty interesting that's amazing and then uh just before we get back to your mind-blowing facts the one thing i wanted to mention which is um i don't think this maybe this has come up on the show before but it's something that you know in the work that i do at eia is very is something we talk about a lot there's a there's a thing an international agreement that is called CITES. It is the Convention on the International Trade in Endangered Species. And most of the countries in the world are party to this agreement called CITES, and it basically it's a way that uh, countries can attempt to control the trade of endangered species. And so the idea is like, if you're a country and you have a certain resource, a plant, an animal it's really hard to control the trade in that if no other country agrees, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's really difficult. So this, this agreement is an attempt to control that a little bit, but it has a few different layers. And um, so there's, there's, three, there's three main appendixes to this treaty. Appendix one just means everybody agrees that this is completely forbidden from trading. Appendix two means that Every country in the world needs to agree that there's going to be a system of permits for trading it so that you that everyone can keep track of how much is being traded and that it, the trading is not hitting some kind of unsustainable level. And then Appendix 3 is kind of the weakest version where it's like the country where it grows can demand that people respect the permits from their country, but it doesn't control world trade, right? Every other country that's Appendix 3 doesn't have to have it. But that said is I was surprised to learn that Spanish cedar, which is one of the oldest uh, like commercial hardwoods from Latin America, and it has a major issue with illegal logging for a long time, it only got listed Appendix 2 in 2020. Um, it was Appendix 3 for a very long time, which Appendix 3 is kind of the weakest form of protection. And so I was, I was kind of surprised it took that long for this tree that is like one of the most sought after, one of the most illegally logged trees to get uplisted to Appendix 2. Almost... Very few things get if if you if you get appendix one things are like really a dire for that species. So I'm glad that it's appendix two now, but um, 
it took it took a long time. Yeah, and probably a lot of advocacy from people like the folks that you work with. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. And I, for some reason, I don't think we were super involved with the Spanish cedar. I think I would have heard about that, but there's a few other species of wood that got uplisted around the same time from the same places. Um, and yeah, so it's not a perfect solution. Definitely. There's lots of situations where just, just requiring people to make pieces of paper doesn't always do a great job about protecting it, but at least it's better than nothing. So hopefully there's some, uh, some hope that this tree can thrive a little bit more and, and not be as like uh, harvested illegally and can kind of be the tree that it needs to be where it's from. Right. Right. But yes, what are those mind blowing facts about the, about the getting back to the other cedar, one of the other cedars? Mind blowing historical facts about red cedar is that there's actually a wood hench in Cahokia. Cahokia is an ancient pre Columbian sort of temple complex on the scale and immensity of the highly developed urban civil, urbanized civilizations in Mesoamerica. Imagine just like the Mayan temples, but in North America. Mm. That's what Cahokia is. Yeah. Are they, they're in like, where are they? I, I was just St. Louis, like outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, yeah, technically on the Illinois side, I think. Um, but there in Cahokia, they have a, the same way. There's like a Stonehenge in the British in Britain. Mm-hmm. There's they have a Woodhenge, and it's a series of timber circles that was built by the Cahokia people um, around 1000 AD. And guess what? Tree the logs were from uh-huh. to make the Woodhenge was was Eastern red cedar. Um, another amazing wow. thing, um, speaking of the Mississippian cultures, which, um, uh, you know, were, were an extremely important sort of uh, pre-European uh, civilization in North America. Um, in, in, uh, in Louisiana, um, uh, the tribes there uh, that really, I mean, they were ancient civilizations. They were larger than a lot of the Eastern woodlands tribes that the Europeans encountered. So the, the, the large civilizations there, they were using um, Eastern red cedar posts to demarcate sort of hunting and, and territorial boundaries. And uh, mm. one of those such posts was found in drum roll Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, <laughs> Which refers to the eastern red cedar, um, which means red post stick, yeah. a red post. Yeah, <laughs> my gosh, wow! So east, that red is red. a mind blowing. That's fact. what I'm saying. And then, okay, last <laughs> mind bo- last mind blowing fact of of eastern uh, red cedar is um, is that one of the main uh, sort of uh, constituent uh, secondary metabolites in the um, in the leaves, uh, not the wood, but the leaves is saffron. Um, I don't know if you have done an episode on sassafras yet. If you haven't, you should. I have. Okay. Yes. Did you guys talk yes, about saffron? Yes, absolutely. I did not know there is saffron in eastern red cedar. There is saffron in eastern red cedar. Um, saffron is, uh, is a very um, important medicinal compound to a lot of indigenous uh, medicine practices throughout North America. Sassafras tea was used by my tribe to um, treat diseases related to the blood and liver, um, as well as, um, during grieving and mourning to help, um, elevate, uh, people's spirits, you know, when, when they were dealing with different tragedies and stuff. And sassafras tea was also a very important drink, um, uh, in the springtime when the saplings could be pulled and their root bark could be harvested to make teas. So I grew up drinking sassafras tea in the spring. It's just like, it's so tasty if you ever get the opportunity to try sassafras tea. 
but the active yeah. the active ingredient in sassafras um, is is saffron, um, which happens to be the precursor to the synthesis of MDMA, also known as ecstasy. Right. But just like all plant medicines that have been like horribly corrupted, like coca leaves, for example, they usually start mm-hmm. as this very you know very important, very sort of sacred, very ubiquitous herbal medicine, right? And it has this active compound that is in small quantities and used and used in appropriate dosages and cultural context can really help. And then, of course, you synthesize it and you, you, you mess it up and it hurts people. But um, anyway. Yeah. And, and be, because of that, the, the federal government, it, like saffron was like, a, I think it's maybe even still illegal. still illegal. Like there's weird, right? And uh, and like that's why we can't have real root beer anymore because original root beer that was one of the primary components was like you know saf- sassafras. Uh, the root one of the roots in root beer was sassafras root, but that those flavors in root beer have been like um, synth- are synthesized in the lab now because you're not allowed to like use that in like food products, um, commercial products, right. Be- yeah, it's it's lame. It's lame. It's super lame, but you can make it yourself. Sassafras is extremely abundant and and totally available um, for foraging in in general, you know, eastern woodland regions. Um, and red cedar, um, the the tips the tips of the leaves, the fresh shoots, um, especially on younger trees, can be brewed into a tea, and that also contains saffron. Oh. Um, there have cool. been studies uh, that I'm just like I'm, I, you know, how it is, you know government funded studies that say might may or may not be carcinogenic I, I, considering the the history of the war on drugs and the demonization of indigenous mm. practices in medicine i'm very skeptical of those claims i've never heard of mm-hmm. uh I've, I've also just people you don't you don't use these things in excess you don't use them every day you don't ingest mm-hmm. hyper concentrated uh extracts of these things which is what they do when they test them on rats and labs so um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be yeah. too worried to tell people like, Hey, you know, you can actually use these things. Also the berries can be used in lieu of other juniper berries, you know, as, as a seasoning oh, cool. spice, if you dry them out and crush them or cook them with food, it's a, it's a somewhat milder, a little bit less astringent than juniper berries that you would, uh, hmm. buy at the store. So. Because Turkey is there, we have a connection there and it can't be broken. And so even Turkey in death is there protecting and making sacred the site of Moyon. That clip you just heard, and also the clip we heard earlier in the show talking about the eastern red cedar planted in honor of Chief Turkey Tayak, is from a documentary that Sebi sent the link to me uh, after we were talking, and it's a documentary called The Flickering Flame, Life and Legacy of Chief Turkey Tayak. It was produced in 1999, and it is a really fascinating film about the life of uh, the Piscataway Chief Turkey Tayak, uh, Sebi's great-grandfather. I really highly recommend you checking it out and watching it. It really provides a lot of really interesting history um, about uh, the Piscataway people and also this area around Washington, D.C., and, and it's just a uh, kind of history that I never learned in school, and I think it's something that uh, more people should uh, understand. Turkey Tayak was involved in the American Indian movement. He was an activist, he was an herbalist, and seemed like a really, really fascinating guy. So uh, definitely check out that documentary. And uh, to end the show, let's hear just one more clip from that film. And the voice you will hear now is of the late Chief Billy Redwing Tayak, the 
son of Turkey Tayak. And if you'll remember from earlier in the episode, the eastern red cedar where Chief Turkey Tayak is buried is directly across the Potomac River from George Washington's Mount Vernon estate. And I've been there. You can actually see the Mount Vernon mansion across the water. Turkey today is looking across the river at George Washington's home saying, yes, we're still here. And you're not going to destroy us. All the policies that you put into forth, becoming the president, first president of the United States, and your successors have put in, but you're not going to destroy us. So he's there looking across the river confronting George Washington every minute, every second of every day. And I believe it's a symbol of the Indian resistance in this country today. I'm here to tell uh, the United States government and all these other immigrant governments of North, Central, and South America, and I'm living proof of it, that their policies of genocide failed. And we're on our way back. And that's the legacy that uh, Chief Turkey left us. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Sebi Medina Tayak. Sebi is the founder and head grower of Red Cedar Farms, which cultivates regenerative organic cannabis and tobacco in the Washington, D.C. area. He is also an environmental justice activist and member of the Piscataway Indian Nation, a state-recognized tribe in Maryland. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com support to find all the ways you can help support the show, including just telling a friend. Rootbound is hosted by the Cedar Celebrating Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, try to figure out whose land you're on. Paper mulberry! It can be paper, but it's not a mulberry. Plant names are confusing.